I was a Jew. Why should I care what this guy Jesus said 2,000 years ago? The, the rabbis used to tell us that, that Jesus was a Christian. Why should I care what some Christian guy says 2,000 years ago? Because when God's getting hold of your heart, the words of Jesus have enormous power. It says, you look at a woman with lust for her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And I was enough of a Jew to know that adultery was wrong. That was one of the Ten Commandments. There's conviction that comes. The Holy Spirit drops into your life conviction. When we don't respond to that, when we don't respond to that, then things start to not go well in our lives. The grace that we're able to draw upon begins to be lifted from us. And as we go and continue in that, God allows Satan to come in and bring real problems in our life. Real problems. Relationships start to break down. Relationships in, with, between you and your family will start to break down. Relationship between you and your spouse will start to break down. Relationship between you and your children will start to break down. God will allow destruction so that your soul would, would continue to be saved. Because at some point you'll say, wow, I have really blown it. My life is an utter mess. My children hate me. My wife has left me. Now what? There is a price to be paid. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. And you have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, the, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Okay, so he says in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. It was for freedom that God set us free. Think about that. It was for freedom that God set us free. Say your, 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 your child is, is tied up and somebody said, well, why did you untie your child? So they would be untied. I mean, it, it, it's not good for them to be tied up. I mean, what, what more rationale do I need? And God says, it is for freedom 
that Christ has set you free. I mean, it's, it's as basic as that. God has set us free. He really wants us to be free in Him. It is not His desire that we be straddled with this obeying of the law. So remember what's taking place in the book of Galatians is Paul had witnessed in this Galatian region. This is a region about five or six different churches in that region. This, this is a, an encyclical, a letter that's being sent to them. And the Judaizers then followed after Paul left, and they're going in and they're saying, okay, yeah, you're saved now, uh, but you're going to have to now live under the law. And it starts with the males are going to have to be circumcised among you, and then you need to live under the 613 commandments of the law of Moses. And Paul hears about this, and he says, no way. You are not under any of the laws. And people will always try to throw things at you. They say, well, the Ten Commandments are different. No, that's part of the law. But now nine of the Ten Commandments are embodied in New Testament commandments. We get our New Testament commandments from the epistles, and nine of the Ten, of the, of the ten Commandments are embodied in that. The one that is not is the Sabbath day. Uh, so we are not under the Sabbath day. If we were, we would be, be uh, uh, stopping all work and worshiping from Saturday night, Friday night sundown to Saturday night sundown. That is the Sabbath. Always has been, always will be. And uh, um, so anyway, what Paul is saying, you're free. Don't be subject again to a yoke of slavery and you need to keep standing firm. This is part of Christian life. Learning to stand firm is part of Christian life, that we stand firm. That's part of Christian life. Verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if... I say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again, every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. So these are really strong words, but it's re- reminiscent of some things that he's taught us earlier. And, and uh, uh, he says, he says uh, earlier that in the, in the book of James, which we had looked at, if, that if you break one of the laws, you're guilty of them all. He said, well, how can that be? Because any one of those laws that are broken is enough to keep us from, from God. Any one. Because God is perfect, we are not. You want to live under the law, you're going to have to obey all the laws. If you want to seek to be justified by, by this, this sort of action. So he says in verse 2, Behold, I say to you that, that if you receive circumcision, Christ is of no benefit to you. So if those... Gentiles, those Gentile believers in, in Galatia, if they want to go ahead and get circumcision, he said, Christ is going to be no longer of benefit to you. He says in verse 4, you have been severed from Christ. That means it's been made inoperable. Uh, you've been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. In other words, you can't live under the law and experience the grace of God. There is an enormous grace that is in Christ. There is power in His Holy Spirit to walk in the ways that He has for us. If we think that we can live under the law, under all of these commandments, and somehow that brings justification, He said, now you've been severed from grace. 
there's this tremendous grace and power in the Holy Spirit. And we are severed from that if we, if we think that, that we can live from law. You can't live under both of these things. He says, I set you free. You can't go under these things. These people who are saying these things to you, they're disrupting you. You lose all power. You don't lose your salvation. When he says that you've been severed from Christ, he's saying it's the same word of severed. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's sometimes rendered inoper, inoperative. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's inoperative. The whole power of Christ that you have in the Holy Spirit has now become inoperative. There's an interesting thing when you come to the Lord and you start walking with Him. You start getting this power of the Holy Spirit and you get this sense, this is wrong. You don't even need to be reading certain things that here's the list of things that are wrong. Check it off on that list. He does give lists that are things that are wrong. But even without seeing it, you know that which is wrong. So often you know the Holy Spirit is a witness to our spirit, testifying to us. He says, I want you to be free. I don't want you to have to go through this whole checklist. I want you to have this freedom. And he says, you're going to cut off yourself from this power of the Holy Spirit, not from salvation. But you're going to try to be living under the law. You're going to cut off this power of the Holy Spirit, which is so powerful in our lives. If we will yield to the Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit to direct us is a great power. And then he goes on in, in, verse, in verse 5. Well, he says at the end of verse 4, you've fallen from grace. You lose that grace in the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It's through the Spirit, by faith, that we get this righteousness. It's all based on faith. It's, an, it's a remarkable thing that, that uh, uh, if we look in, in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 through 33, Romans 9, verse 30 through 33, it says, what shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even the righteousness which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. So he says the Gentiles, he's comparing the Jews and the Gentiles in, in, in this section of Romans. And he's saying the Gentiles attained to righteousness and they weren't even pursuing it. They weren't even pursuing it and they attained righteousness because it was by faith. Just like Abraham, it says, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And it was credited to him as righteousness, just by having faith in God. The Gentiles got it. He says, but Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. I come from a Jewish home, and I know what they're talking about. I wasn't an Orthodox home, but I know what the Orthodox would do. The Orthodox would put a little kuppah on their head, a little yarmulke, and they'd say, they'd say uh, um, you know, you see, I do this. To, to please God, to get God happy with me. And then they do all these other sorts of works, lots and lots of them, to somehow gain approval with God. And God said, you've lost it. That's not how you get it. You get it by believing in me. It comes by faith. It's that simple. That's what he's directing them back to. 
And that's why he says in verse 5 of Galatians chapter 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It's through the Spirit, by faith. He's saying, I want to bring you back to a much simpler life. The way we come into his home, into his family, is by faith. That is clear. The way we come into his family is by faith. That is, that is purely by faith in him. We come into the family by faith. And uh, uh, he tells us this in, in, uh, um, in Ephesians, in Ephesians, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It's not a result of works that no one may boast. So by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. So we can't get into God's family in any way except by accepting his grace through faith. Once we are in his family, verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which, God's, which God has prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Once we are in the family, he has a huge list of good works that he wants us to be about. Lots and lots of things that he wants us to be doing. And this is why you will see believers all over the world participating in good works. Over and over again, pouring themselves out in good works. I've seen this many times in my life where they will give out awards to, to people for, for doing good things in the community. And, and these are unbelievers and they're doing certain works in the community and they're being awarded these awards. And then as I watch this, I'm thinking, this is nothing compared to what I see believers doing. The way, the way I see believers pour themselves out over and over and over again. You will see believers pour themselves out so much without ever getting any awards for it. So much. Because God has all these good works he wants us to be involved with. None of them get us our salvation. But God has prepared these for us to walk in. The believer's life should be filled with doing good works. We should be busier than every, everyone else doing good works. That we, we should do. But it's, it's, not, it, it's something that doesn't get us approval with God. Our approval with God to get into his kingdom comes strictly by grace. But once we are there... We're filled, we have before us all these good works to do. And so he says in verse 5 of Galatians 5, For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. It's through the Spirit. I mean, this is so important. You will get worn out doing good works unless you're functioning by the power of the Holy Spirit. Unless we realize that this is my service to the Lord Jesus Christ. My Lord, I serve my Lord. If you take this as I... This is, this is my service to these people. You're going to be greatly disappointed because a lot of these times these people are not going to be very thankful. They're not, not going to thank you. In, in fact, sometimes they might even resent you for it. But this is my service to the Lord. This is my service to the Lord. So say you're, you're working at Casa El Bueno Samaritano, the, the, the church's ministry to the community where they have a free health center and your physician. And 
you know, the church, before they ever started that, it took like two years to get all the paperwork in place for the insurance. But say that they should sue you. Somebody should sue you because they, they feel that you treated them improperly. And you'll feel like, I can't believe that I'm being sued like this. Here I'm pouring myself out free of charge for these people. And now I'm getting sued for this. Now, the church has insurance to cover this. And that, that's part of the whole structure that was set up. But sometimes people will resent you for things that you have done. And this is what I'm talking about. That, that uh, if we look at this and say, no, I am doing this for my service to Jesus. I am serving my Lord. Then it takes a whole different perspective. And that's why he says, we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. So it's all by faith working through love. And so, so it, it's this, this amazing picture that he gives us, uh, uh, faith working through love. This, this dovetails with, with uh, chapter 3 of Galatians, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. You are all one in Christ. This is what he's talking about. That, that, that we are all one in Christ. This oneness that we have in Christ. It's an amazing thing that he gives us. And, and uh, um, uh, so, so um, before we're in Christ, God deals with people groups. He clearly deals with Gentiles different than he deals with Jews. And, 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 uh, and that's why Paul says we are to be of no offense to the Jew or to the Greek, or to the church of God. So before we're in Christ, he, there are these two people groups. But once we are in Christ, he deals with Jew and Gentile the same. Once we're in Christ, he deals with us the same. He deals with us as the church of God, his beloved bride. So before we're in Christ, he deals with Jews and Gentiles separately. Because the Jews have been given so much in the law and so much teaching that. And that's why he distinguishes them. But as soon as they're in Christ, <clears throat> he brings us all together. And that's why he says, for in Christ, this is Galatians chapter 5, verse 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, neither Jew nor Gentile. Once we are in Christ, it doesn't mean anything, the circumcision or the uncircumcision, the Jew or the Gentile. Once we're in Christ, that means nothing. But faith working through love. It's faith working through love. We believe God, and then the work comes forth. We believe God, and then the work comes forth. In James chapter 14, I'm sorry, James chapter 2, verse 14. James chapter 2, verse 14 says, What is it? Uh, what use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled. And you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. So here he tells us in, in uh, Galatians, he says that, that we're to have faith working through love. You know, I think my wife has, has already left. She's already gone home to get the meal ready. To me... To me, 
My wife, Shireen, is the, mo the biggest model example of faith working through love. This woman every day has a list of people that she is going to bless that day. I mean, it, it, it's wild. I say, what are you going to do today? She says, oh, I'm just going to do a few things. No, I want to know, what are you going to do today? Oh, I'm going to go here, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to... Just one thing after another. She's going to bring this person this thing and this person that thing. And, and uh, uh, it is just this enormous faith that she has. And then it's just poured out in love toward others. It is faith working. It, it's, it's, there's all this work that she does, but it's faith working through love. She loves these people. She loves to do these things. And I'm like, I, I get tired. Just I'm going to go to work. So, you, you know, or else she's going to expect me to, you know, help her with all this. I can't keep up with that. I just can't keep up with it all. And I just, I just pray that I make enough money to continue to pay for all of this. Uh, um, but she's just blessing people all the time. It is faith working through love. That once you're in Christ Jesus, there's this faith that it just comes out and it's working through love. Paul is trying to bring them into this, which is so much greater, so much better. And then, he, then he, he switches gears a little bit. Now he's in verse 7. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So he's saying to the Galatians, you were doing so well. When I left you guys, you were doing so well. Who hindered you? He wants to know the name of the person. You think that, oh... He doesn't want to know the name. He, he does he just, you know, some general. No, he's asking them, who hindered you? He, he's asking them, what is their name? Because I'm going to deal with them. He says, he says in verse 7, who hindered you from obeying the truth? He wants an answer from them. Verse 8, this persuasion did not come from him who calls you. In other words, this person who persuaded you, to start following the law, to go back under the law, to stop living by faith, to thinking that you're going to be justified by faith. We are justified. It, it comes by grace through faith. Whoever convinced you of that differently, that persuasion was not from the Lord. So just because a person tells you something and it sounds spiritual doesn't necessarily mean that it's true. A lot of times we get bad advice. And so we can go back to the scriptures and check this out. He says, that wasn't from the Lord. Then he goes back again in verse, in verse uh, um, 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. So this, this proverb that, that just, uh, you know, you put a little leaven in the bread and the whole lump of dough rises. And he says, that it's just a little bit. One guy is messing you up. Who is this person who's doing this? And in verse 10, I have confidence in you, in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. I mean, Paul is, is declaring upon him who's disturbing them a judgment, whoever he is. If you're not going to tell me whoever he is, he's going to bear his judgment. He's going to suffer for this. I mean, Paul really believed that God causes suffering in people's lives if they're walking in disobedience, and particularly in teaching others in that disobedience. And Paul wasn't averse to calling people out. No way. He called people out. 
Paul had a habit of this, actually, of, of calling people out. Look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. And I know in our, our woke world, we don't want to name anybody. So someone general is doing it. No, Paul named them by name. He says, who is he? Look in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. You see, Christian work is fighting the good fight. Then he says, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and, rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among these are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So Hymenaeus and Alexander have become shipwrecked in their faith, and they were so teaching others. They were so teaching others. And so what Paul did is he handed them over to Satan so that they would be taught not to blaspheme. I mean, that's pretty strong. You have the apostle Paul saying, I've handed them over to Satan. I'm going to let Satan whack them around a little bit. And they're not going to see that this goes very well. Why would he do this? Because he doesn't want to see them totally destroyed. He handed them over to Satan. Look, if you think, oh, that's just an anomaly. Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 17. And their talk will spread like gangrene. <clears throat> Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus. Men who have gone astray from the truth. That means they had the truth. Now they've gone astray. Saying that the resurrection had already taken place and they, are, and they upset the faith of some. So these men were going around and saying that the resurrection, he didn't, didn't, he's not talking about the resurrection of Jesus, he's talking about the resurrection of the saints has already taken place and you guys are left here. No, he, he says they're upsetting people. <clears throat> And you think, okay, well, just, just those couple of cases, did he do that? Look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. So I don't know if this is the same Alexander that he spoke about in 1 Timothy. There, he, this, he, he gives it uh, this, this disambiguation by calling him Alexander the coppersmith. He said he did, did me much harm. I mean, Paul names these people by name. This is why Paul is saying in Galatians, who is he? I'll call him out by name. I'm not afraid to do that. Remember, Paul called Peter out by name. He said, Peter visiting was in the Peter and the other brethren were visiting Antioch and I called Peter out by name and stood him up in front of everybody. I mean, Paul wasn't afraid to do this. Uh, Paul hears about a man in Corinth who is sleeping with his stepmother and he's reproving the church for not dealing with that man. And Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such kind that does not even exist among the Gentiles, that some, someone has his father's wife. So this is someone in the church is sleeping around with his stepmother. Paul says, you have become arrogant and you have not mourned instead, so that the one who has done this deed 
would be removed from your midst. For I, on my part, though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul delivered people over to Satan. If a believer continues to walk in sin and does not respond to the Holy Spirit, the pattern we see in Scripture is that Satan is turned loose on them. You want to mess around with these things? You want to do things of the world? Paul is saying we are free in Christ, but that doesn't give us license, and he's going to deal with it very specifically in the end of this chapter. Invariably, as I've been teaching on this, people have been coming up to me afterward, and they say, if we're free in Christ, does that mean we can do whatever we want to do? I mean, like clockwork. After I finish, people come up. Is that, that means we can do what we want? It's exactly what Paul is going to deal with. Exactly what they're saying he ends up dealing with. And, and uh, um, uh, in verse 13 of this chapter of Galatians chapter 5, he says, You were called to freedom, brethren, but only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. <clears throat> Same thing that we had dealt with when we went through the, the book of, of Romans. Romans chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 1 and 2, it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? And Romans chapter 6, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? May it never be. So the same thing happens today. That's how we know these scriptures are so true. Exactly what happened to them what happened to Paul when he would teach on grace, invariably people would walk up and say, so does that mean people can do what they want to do? Same thing they said to Paul, they say to me. They walk up, to because I, ha I haven't finished this, this chapter. When I get to this chapter, we'll deal with that. You can't do whatever you want to do. I just haven't gotten to the end of this chapter yet. So you see that, that the same thing takes place. When you do wrong, when a believer does wrong, Things happen in their life. The Holy Spirit will witness to them that they are doing wrong. I remember when a young man first shared the gospel with me, first shared the gospel with me, he had me read the verse, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I said, I haven't sinned. Because I, I thought sin, yeah, is something really bad. I said, look, I never robbed a bank. I never killed anyone. How could I be a sinner? And then he brought me to Matthew 5, 28. Jesus said, I say to you, that if you look upon a woman with lust for her, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. These are strong words, and those hit me very hard. I was a Jew. Why should I care what this guy, Jesus, said 2,000 years ago? The, the rabbis used to tell us that, that Jesus was a Christian. I had no idea that Jesus was Jewish. If you know Jesus was Jewish, you, knew, you know more than I did when I was your age. When I was 18, I didn't know Jesus was Jewish. Why should I care what some Christian guy says 2,000 years ago? Because when God's getting hold of your heart, the words of Jesus have enormous power. It says, you look at a woman with lust for her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. 
And I was enough of a Jew to know that adultery was wrong. That was one of the Ten Commandments. And, and uh, uh, there's conviction that comes. The Holy Spirit drops into your life conviction. When we don't respond to that, when we don't respond to that, then things start to not go well in our lives. The grace that we're able to draw upon begins to be lifted from us. And as we go and continue in that, God allows Satan to come in and bring real problems in our life. Real problems. Relationships start to break down. Relationships in, with, between you and your family will start to break down. Relationship between you and your spouse will start to break down. Relationship between you and your children will start to break down. God will allow destruction so that your soul would, would continue to be saved. Because at some point you'll say, wow, I have really blown it. My life is an utter mess. My children hate me. My wife has left me. Now what? There is a price to be paid. And we see this. And Paul wasn't the only one. You think that Paul is, is, is some outlier. Remember loving John? John who talks about my children and he loves everybody. You know, the guy who's put his, his shoulder down on, on, on his head on Jesus' shoulder. I mean, look, look at what John does in 3 John, the epistle of 3 John, verses, uh, 3 John, this is in chapter 1, there's just the one chapter, verse 9. I wrote something to the church, but Di Diotrephes, so he names them by name, Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. For this reason, if I come, I will call attention to his deeds, which he does, unjustly accusing us with wicked words, and not satisfied with this, he himself does not receive the brethren either, and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. <clears throat> so there was a guy named Diotrephes leading a church, and these evangelists would, were coming through the town, and Diotrephes would say, oh, they're coming from John, they're, they're part of John's group, don't, don't put them up for the night. And, and John is writing to his friend, John is writing to his friend in, in, in this chapter, and, and uh, he's writing to his friend, he says, thank you for putting them up, thank you for doing this. So he's writing to Gaius and he's saying, thank you for putting them up, in spite of what Diotrephes, the leader in that church, was telling people to do. You put them up, you did the right thing, and when I come, I'm going to deal with that leader in that church, Diotrephes. Because he puts people out of the church, he forbade people from showing kindness to them. And uh, uh, so he's calling people out by name. So, you know, he, he named them by name, Paul, and that's why Paul is saying, tell me the name of this guy who's disturbing you. He said, I'm already dealing with him. He says, whoever has done this, and is disturbing you, he's going to bear his judgment. Paul was calling that down on him. There is judgment that comes upon us when we start walking away from the Lord. And things start going very poorly for us. You say, well, I know unbelievers, they do this all the time. They don't get in trouble because they're not part of the family. When you're a believer, you're part of the family. So now you have a greater responsibility. My kids couldn't do certain things because they were part of our family. They couldn't do what other kids did because they were part of our family. And they'd ask us about it. Well, we're different. In our family, we don't do those sort of things. This is not what we do. In God's family, he calls us to certain things. We have this enormous freedom in Christ. 
enormous freedom that we don't have to live under the law, that we can live guided by the Spirit. But with that comes greater responsibility. And if we don't respond to the Spirit, what comes upon us is judgment, comes upon us in order that our soul may be saved. Because we're not going to lose our salvation, but our lives in this life start falling apart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it. I pray, Lord, for the unbelievers, that you would bring them to salvation. Lord, I pray that this day I would see with my own eyes a salvation. I pray that this day I would see it. And Father, I pray for the believers that are here that they would learn to walk in the fear of the Lord. And Father, that they would be filled with good works and that faith would be manifest in works of love. Father, do this in these young people's lives, that they wouldn't merely sit back, but they would be in service in the body of Christ. For as Jesus said, whoever serves me, my Father will honor him. Father, I pray the blessing of the Lord Jesus on these young people. And as they obey your word, as they obey your word, that you would guide them. And Father, give them the guidance of the Holy Spirit and that they would respond to it. Lord, let them respond to it, that Jesus Christ may be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to give to help out with these podcasts, you can go to jesusandscience.org. All donations are tax deductible. We have no employees in this organization. All the money just goes for the contract work on the production. Thanks so much.